book through Thessalonians, and the topic of what we're getting into, and it's going to take just a little bit to get into the topic, and I say that because as we did in Revelations, there's certain things you've got to understand for the base. You've got to understand the people. You've got to understand the mindset. And, and we talked about how that, last week, how that evolved and how Paul was only able to spend three weeks before he gets basically booted out and goes to Berea and the same thing gets booted out. He'll end up up in Troas, continuing around, end up down in Corinth. And, you know, he's still wondering what's going on and his heart is great. There's a lot that goes into that. But again, we, we come back to this and we talked about this three weeks and they just begin to explode and flourish. And the idea is, what Paul, what did you tell them? That, that, you know, that, that impacted them that strongly. I want to know, you know. I, I want to be able to share that. But as we look at this, let's go ahead and uh, just, just, we're going to read the whole chapter, chapter 1. It's only 10 verses, they're different. So... Paul and Silas, uh, Sylvanius, which is another word for Silas, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation. And again, we talked about that last week. With the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And, and for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in, not, I'm sorry, not only in, in Macedonia, and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. Wow. For they themselves report about, report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. That's a huge statement. And to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Now, we took a look in our last hour at these, like I said, incredible believers. They had been born again for only a few days, three weeks, and yet, these guys are able to withstand the persecution and to be the kind of persons that they needed to be. They, they flourished. They, they, they grew. I want to know the message that got inside them. Because like I said before, I, I, you know, I, 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 I've known people that, you know, <laughs> they 
been quote saved for years and they they can't get through a week sometimes and it's just I, I want to know what they received and I want to know how they received it. I think it's important to me as a person so that whatever that is, I can share that with others too. So I, I want to get inside Paul's head. That's why we're doing what we're doing here tonight. He was the messenger. He carries this message. And having gotten inside Paul's head, then we examine what he told them, what happened to them when they received it. So I just gave you the outline here. So first of all, we, we come as we left off last week with him coming out of Philippi, and he's standing on that hill, him and Silas, and they're looking down into Thessalonica, and, and if we're Paul, again, he's the messenger. He's, he, remember, he's feeling at the time the pain, the struggle, all the other stuff. And he said, I came to you absolutely convinced that what I was saying was the final proof with, with deep conviction. And it says, take a look at verse 2 of chapter 2 here. It says, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, you remember that, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. So, our, so there are two things there. We were utterly convinced of what we were saying was the truth. So we came to you with deep conviction, but he, he, he said also, we had boldness in our God. He's saying, when I, I looked on that city, <laughs> I needed God's boldness to just, just to keep on walking. My back is still one big massive scar, red scars, for, for what they did to me in Philippi. And now we're going to try that again? He said, I, I needed the boldness of God, God's own boldness to come and speak the word of God to you. Now, understand me when I when I talk about this. This is not positive thinking. Okay, this is this is not sitting on the hill saying you can do it. You can do it. You can. Do it. There, there, there's a very real truth that, friend. Whatever you go through, everybody else has been through it as well. And, and I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but the Bible says, for example, there's no temptation which has come to you that is not common to all men. So you go through an experience, and I know what it's like to feel like, you know, no one has ever felt this before. But somewhere, sometimes, someone under maybe different circumstances, we've all felt like that at some time. And when Paul stood on top of that hill, he knew that he had had, had 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 the truth and that he was going to share the truth in the face of violent opposition. So, you have faced your world, okay? I'm talking to us, and we're not Apostle Paul. But the world of where we work, the world of our neighborhood in which we live, in the world even of the church, have you ever thought of how many <laughs> actually attend the church who do not believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God? Have you ever thought about that? There's more than you think. 
I, I should just, you know, Paul's saying I should just, just turn around, walk away, and, you know, cause, cause, and just forget this. The truth is it's natural for all of us in circumstances and feeling what we're feeling and walking through what we're walking and dealing with what we're dealing with. It, it's natural for us to pull away. Why ask for trouble? If they like me, why should I open my mouth? You know, they're they're not going to whip you. But the experience that Paul had been through, just been through, can still be fixed inside. You know what it means to be gun shy about something? Oh yeah. Uh, He says, "I only, I, I could only go into Thessalonica and open my mouth because of deep conviction." And because of a God-given boldness. So, what is God's boldness? What enables a person to stand against opposition and to keep on standing? I I mean, when when you're knocked over, you get back up and you go back for more. That's God's boldness. So what is boldness? It, it has a number of ingredients. I'm, I'm going to ask you to think about it. So, for example, number one, God's boldness can only be when I know God's grace. Okay, I, I, I want to underline some stuff for you here tonight. I, I don't want us to get into Thessalonians with just a, a certain picture to find out something. Thessalonians has something to teach us. God's boldness can only be when I know God's well, why does a man, you know, hang his head? Why does he sit back and say things like, well, God could never use me? It's because he doesn't have a concept of righteousness. Only when I know that I'm pardoned, only when I know when I'm accepted by God as if I have never sinned, received by the Father as if I were Jesus himself, through nothing I have done, only when I know that I have received that kind of salvation, that kind of grace, not because of anything I have done, but because of what he has done, then I can hold my head high. I look at me, I look at what I've been, I look at what I've gone through, what I've done, oh, It's not about you. It's at this point, though, those who have seen the grace of God, this is something I have also found, they almost always fall back into legalism. Because I can believe that I'm accepted, but to believe God is going to use me? (laughs) And really, I mean, I immediately think of 10,000 other people that, that, that are more worthy than me that God can use. Right there, I've slipped into legalism. And I am in danger of despising the grace of God. I love one of the greatest verses in the New Testament is, is in Acts there in chapter 2. And it says, but Peter, taking his stand with the 11. There's more to the verse, but I don't need it. Not need it. I mean, I don't need to read it to get to my point. Peter was standing up with the 11. 
He's the first preacher of the Christian gospel, right? Only a few days late earlier, though, he was doing what? He was cursing and blaspheming and said, I've never known the guy. That's grace, my friend. That's what I'm talking about. Yes, but that's also boldness. I, I know many people who have said, you know, I'm, I'm not worthy. I mean, like, <laughs> Peter, it's like saying John, you know, he, you didn't let him down, you know, everything, John, you, you upheld him, you were there for him, you go preach. But you see, boldness is knowing I'm forgiven. Daring to stick out my neck and say, I'm forgiven. So much so that he stood up with the 11. Look, the ele other 11 knew what he did. They, they, they knew exactly what he had done. He says, I don't care if you do know what I've done. I know what he's done. I'll stand up and preach. That's the beginning of boldness to know righteousness. It's called taking a stand in front of the world that hates you. You can't do it without the knowledge of righteousness. It's the beginning of boldness. Boldness. If it's God's boldness, he knows the absolute truth as it is revealed in Jesus. That means evil has already been conquered. Satan has been defeated. If I understand the finished work of Christ, I, I look at, at those things in the past tense then because it's done. I live in, in, in the cry of Jesus when he said, it is finished. Therefore, I, I know that all of the challenges from the enemy are nothing but bluff. Nothing, I mean, that is what, if you don't know, if you don't know, you, you know, I, I'm, going, I'm not going to, you don't know it. But to have seen the finished work of Jesus is to know all, everything is finished. Jesus has overcome Satan. Evil has been put down. God in Christ has triumphed. I can now stand in the face of evil. I can now stand in the face of all evil and a raging Satan if I need to. And as Ephesians 6 says, remember what Paul wrote? Stand. Well, it's not in your notes. I figure you knew this one. And having done all, stand. Because I know what God knows, that this is only a front from the enemy. It's, it's a bluff. This is already what he's throwing at me. It's been defeated. Jesus said, all authority is given to me in heaven and upon earth. Therefore, go and teach all nations, right? If all authority did not belong to Jesus, you might as well just go home then and forget about it. But because all authority is given to him in heaven and on earth, therefore, you can go and teach. Oh, don't give me that. You realize that until Jesus ascended and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, 
and had all authority, you, you couldn't go into all the nations and preach. Because Satan controlled, he, he distorted the, the, the lives that were there. I'm t- you know, I'm thinking back, you know, we, Elaine was talking about uh, Russian-Ukrainian Bibles here just a little bit. I'm thinking about those times. I mean, I never really got to share what took place in, in, in Hungary and Ukraine because when I came back, we, the church was shut down. And, and for the next couple of years, it was like by the time. But, but man, I'll never forget walking in to some of those areas, especially in Ukraine, where you would not believe the conditions that they lived in and what they were going through. And, and from that aspect, stand in, 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 in definite confrontation to, to that which was opposed and against and evil and so forth. And, and watch what God would do as you spoke that word. I mean, I, look, you know, I'm, I'm not no big evangelist that goes out preaching everywhere. And so I don't necessarily see things like I was seeing things because God was doing something in the midst of that. He, I mean, I watched several. And, and, and uh, I watched several who were, and, and I, I, I don't like saying stuff like this. I don't like sensationalizing things. But when you see people, as you walk up to them, and they are possessed, and they fall and they begin to manifest and they're being delivered in the name of Jesus. You know. You know. And, and believe me, I didn't walk up to him and say, you know, I'm worthy to pray for you. I'm the last one to be worthy to even be touched by God, to be used in that way. But it's not about me. It was about him. I can tell you of things that I've, I've seen and gone through, not only in Ukraine, but in Hungary, and I've never, I've never felt more like a child of God than I did at those times. Just amazing how God invades the darkness. Look, when, when you stand before an individual at work, in your neighborhood, you know, they're, they're just as much of a pagan. Sounds like I called them a dirty word or something. But when you speak, please hear me, you're not it's just not sharing an idea you have god's boldness because you stand before god righteous and you stand in the light of the finished work that's the truth it's the truth that sets you free and it's the truth that makes you bold so what is god's boldness Well, he knows the end from the beginning. That's my disadvantage. Because I only know right now. But boldness is when I sit on the throne with God and I see all. And of course, you don't really see all, but you enter into God's seat of all. When, when, when you're in trouble or things, you know, kind of people come along and say, you know, keep looking up. And I say, no, keep looking down. Because if you have to look up, that means you're down, right? 
So if I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, then I look down at life. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm, I don't want to lose you. I'm saying God sees at the end from the beginning. And when God gives us his name, he says what? I am. He's not the I was, obviously, who lived in the past. And he's not the I will, who's in the future. He stands outside of our was and will be's. And I don't want to think of words right now, but that's what I'm saying. And he uses the eternal present tense. I am. So I say, 10 years ago, I was. And God says, I am. I, I say, no, God, you, you were. No, I am. He is now present to my past. I say, well, tomorrow we will. And God says, no, now. Uh, God, now, understand, is alive in my present end and of my future. He's the I am. Not the was, not the will be. Living in this little tiny minute of time that we're at in like the feast. You know those moments you're looking at everything, you just lost, it's never going to be the same, everything, oh God, oh God. And it looks like defeat. God sees the end and he says, you've just won a victory. Does it? doesn't look like that to us because we're locked into this time. But we, we back off and, and we get scared and we say we're being defeated. If, if I can see it from God's point of view, I laugh and I say, well, we're not defeated. That's boldness. Why was it that Stephen could stand when there was this rain of rocks being thrown at him? I'd really look at Stephen, this is my personal belief, that he is, to me, one of the most powerful men that the early church had. I mean, he's Stephen. I mean, I, would just, I, I just wish that Stephen would have written a letter or a book or something before he died. Do you realize that Stephen was the one who convinced Paul? You, you realize we wouldn't have Paul if it wasn't for Stephen. Stephen understood more than Peter, John's, and James put together. Did, did you notice they weren't around, by the way, when he was being stoned? They actually, I can show you this, but another, they thought he was a god fanatic. Stephen understood what Paul finally developed. I mean, you only got to go to chapter 7 of Acts and and, and, and take a look at Stephen and go, oh, man, our best man is dying. He's been killed. Oh, my defeat. We just might as well forget it and just go, go home. It's over. God says victory because out of the blood of Stephen came Paul. When something dies or when someone we know passes away, we say, if only. Friend, we just got done walking through the book of Revelation. Okay, do you remember the verses? They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and loved not their lives unto death. They were being murdered, and God's saying, victory. The world says, 
you're lost. We killed you. And God says, you won. You killed us. That's wholeness. If you can see that in your situation, you say, I'm all alone here. It's, it's over. It's, it's finished. No. No. Boldness sees it from God's point of view. God in this and he's and is in is in this and he's already conquered so I'm conquering right now that's boldness there are the spiritual insights that Paul had as he looks down over Thessalonica I'll say it again his back is still screaming in pain he's a mess and also let me say this boldness is I'm united never think of God giving us a thing called boldness. Please understand that. Never understand. We can never think of God giving us a thing that we call boldness. Boldness is because I am in him and he is in me. So when God helps us to be bold, it's because he's given us his very self. And he who is grace, he who is our righteousness, he who does see the end from the beginning, he has now united himself to us. God's help is himself. <laughs> now says Paul, in these verses that we just got done reading, when we came to you, what? We spoke the word with power. Greek word for power there, as I'm sure you probably know, is the word dunamis. It means a tremendous release of energy. It, it is God's own energy, the sending forth of God's energy. So when Paul opens his mouth to share the gospel, he says there was released God's own power, energy, dunamis. I understand it is, first of all, a destructive power. Okay? That's the power that is in the gospel in our lips. Do you recognize that? It is a destructive power. It absolutely severed those who received it from their idols. It destroyed the whole community of paganism in Thessalonica. It is the same power you'll find that was released in Exodus when all the gods of Egypt were destroyed through what we call the plagues. Remember that every one of those plagues was the destruction of something they worshipped? Remember that? They worshipped frogs. It came not for any reason to why anybody would worship frogs. They worshipped locusts. They worshiped the Nile. All those things were destroyed when God brought the plagues. When Moses walked out, there wasn't a God left in Egypt that could be worshiped. Every God had been found under the control of the God of gods. That's destructive power. God's power is destructive. And I say thank God for his destructive power in our lives. He destroyed everything that we thought were God. 
everything you tr ever trusted in, everything we ever thought was God. I mean, just a boom. God comes in, and when God comes, it's all gone. It's a marvelous day when God breaks up our concept of God and introduces himself to us. That's a destructive power, the going forth of God's energy. And, of course, it's constructive power. It not only destroys, but that energy goes forth. And so now, instead of worshiping idols, we now worship the living and the true God. Paul was, was very concerned about this at, 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 at this particular time. Because when he was in Corinth, if you remember from our last session, you remember that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in the first five verses that are there, he said, when I came to Corinth, my only desire was to preach to you, not only in word only, but also in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. In case your, in case your faith should stand in the wisdom of men and not then in the power of God. I was concerned that it would become more man-made than God's word, God-made. So when he went to Corinth, this is what filled his heart. So he reminds the Corinthians again how he came. I, I didn't come just with words. I had to come with the going forth of, of God's energy because I didn't, I, I didn't want your faith to stand just on my persuasion. It had to be given to you by God. The word power here, it also has in it the idea of inherent power. That is, it has its own power in itself. Take, take a look at Romans, if you will, there. In, in, in Romans uh, chapter 1, it, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Got that? That, that, God understand. this isn't, uh, hey guys, I, I mean, here's some words. Now let's hope the Holy Spirit does something with it. What it is saying is that the power is in those words. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the, this boldness again. And, and he's standing up in front of the crowd and, and saying, I am not ashamed of what I am saying. It works. I know it works. Within the words I'm saying, it is the power of God unto salvation. Do you grab that? I'll never forget. I was sitting down in the Browns in, in, in Florida there, not Texas. And Melissa was going to school. I had taken her down there for school. And I was sitting in on a service. And they were there at the church. And they were giving testimonies. And this lady from India came up to give a testimony. And uh, the pastor said, is your testimony about what God's done here for you? And she said, no. <laughs> that was against the rules, but uh, she just, he just went on. 
She said, no, I'm from India, and uh, I, I needed to share my testimony. She said, I am employed with the United Nations, and the United Nations moved me to, I'm trying to remember the place that she went, uh, I believe it was, was somewhere in Europe. And so her whole family had to move with her, but she had gone ahead of them so she could find a house, get it rented, and then begin living there and then fulfilling her position with the UN. And she said, uh, I got in there and I, I went ahead and set up the house and I had this special room for all of my idols, Hinduism. So she has all of her different things and her incense and everything else going on in there. She says, I just got it all set up. Now, this is going to be a far-fetched story if I hadn't heard it in person, okay? But she said, as I began to walk out, I could hear all of my idols begin to choke. She said, they began to gasp and they began to choke. And I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what was going on. She says, I turned around, and the next thing I know, I fell to my knees. And I was receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And, I, uh, and I'm going, whoa. And she says, I, I, I don't know what happened, but when I found out, she said, is that the, the, the man who lived in the house prior to me, his name was Reinhard Bonke. And that room had been his prayer room and study room. And the anointing of God, the presence of God, the power of God from the word of God was still prevalent and said, not in my house. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah, man. We were hooting and a hollering in that service. I'm going to tell you what. H have you ever heard the name George Whitfield by chance? Did you know that George Whitfield was, was a very heavy man? And that he was kind of awkward looking, and he and he talked like this a lot. Did you did you realize? I mean, the stories, the history's there. Just take a look at it. They 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 would they would stand up in in a in the bar and mock George Whitfield and begin to say what George would say, and the whole bar would get saved. There might have been a drunken fool who might have been imitating, uh, you know, one of God's servants, but in so doing, he was letting out the gospel. And it is the power of God unto salvation. The power always comes in connection with the Holy Spirit. You'll never find any reference in the Bible of the power just hang in there by itself. The power is always connected with the Holy Spirit. And the key verse is what? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth and Ravenna, Ohio. The two are together. We don't have the time to get off in, in, into this right now, but I want you to know that when Jesus came again, we're going to say two are together. 
and, 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 and when he ascended and was called Lord, that was the grand finale. His blood had dealt with your sin. His resurrection gives you new life. His ascension gives us the Holy Spirit. Having accomplished in his own person that work, our righteousness, our life, and the gift of the Spirit, then and only then he was called Lord. And when I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, I am accepting my righteousness, I'm accepting my life and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know what I find? I find that that 90% of believers didn't or they don't know that. In fact, most just understood that what they were getting was just part of it. Listen to the tape out here. Or forgiven. Pardoned! Sit right here next time. Spit on. Yeah, I know. But I'll say it again. Most believers don't understand from the, from the simple fact that you're accepting my right, my, my righteousness, my life, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. They only think they've been forgiven. We received on that day a whole lot more than we ever even dreamed. Hello. What I'm trying to say is, as I understand the New Testament, there are not some Christians who have the Holy Spirit and some who don't, as if they are some Christians who are basically kind of like second-class citizens of the kingdom of God. No. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, hello, that is, you're born again, you have received the Holy Spirit, and in Him you live and move and have your being. You are the righteousness of God. You have Christ living inside you. It's all yours. But your problem is you didn't know it. My prayer for them is not that they will get something. They already have. I pray Paul's prayer from Ephesians of opening their eyes of understanding. Let them know the hope to which they have been called. Let them know the exceeding greatness of his power, which is where? In us who believe. They just don't know. So on the other side of that, when I pray for people to enter into the baptism of the Spirit, it isn't so much that they would get something that they don't already have, but rather, Lord, open their eyes so they can enjoy what they've got. Lord, I'd love to take an hour on this. The power, this, this going forth of energy inside you right now, right now, Christ in you, the Holy Spirit possessing you because you're his child. It's only our sense of righteousness that causes us to hold back and be fearful and, and not let the energy go forth. When one stands up and dares to believe that he is in Christ, there's a going forth of energy. A lot of people will just sit back and, and say, you know, see, they got, they got it. Listen, whatever the situation is that God sovereignly has placed you in, 
he and you, by the Spirit, is the energy that goes forth to meet the need. You will never be in a situation that is too big for the God who lives inside of you. It's the going forth of energy by the Holy Spirit. Why is it that we're afraid of the Holy Spirit's power? I, I really believe that it's because we have the wrong idea of power. Uh, I, I can tell you experience after experience as, as far as the past and what I've seen and what I've witnessed all in the name of, quote, power. But then I've seen the incredible power of God. Why be scared of God's power? I, I think we have a concept of power Maybe sometimes in terms of a big explosion. There's something very frightening about a big explosion. And, 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 and therefore, we think of God in, in, in frightening terms. But you see, God's going forth of energy, God's power is love. Love power. Well, Psalm 26 says that. Love power. Uh, but, you know, this is different from what I'm talking about. You might say, come away with, okay, if, if the Holy Spirit really had his way in my life. If he, if he did, if, 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 if I let the Holy he he'd probably be make, make me do something really foolish. That, that's what I did think, I'll be honest with you. But, but I come to realize that the Holy Spirit is the greatest general I have ever known in the universe he'll never make you do anything foolish you remember when john was in the heavens and he made that great announcement the lion of the tribe of judah has overcome you know immediately what i think of is i think of of power of the lion and his claws are dripping with blood and his fangs are just hanging there with flesh hanging from it from a fresh kill john says I turn to see the lion, and, and, and no, he said, I see a lamb. And remember, in the Greek, it's even stronger. It's a dear little lamb. And not only that, but he says, as it had been slain. And again, the Greek there is very, very clear. It's just slain with blood spilling its face. He says, I turn to see the lion. Who is this who overcomes the great lion? No, it's, it's a dear little lion. That's God's power. That's love's power. Lamb's power. You don't have to be afraid. Trust me. I open my life up to the Holy Spirit. And there's no fear. He won't make me do anything foolish. He won't hurt me. He's the lamb power. He's, he's coming forth from the Lamb to be love power in my life. Paul said, when I came and talked to you, that's the power I came in. Do you realize, he said, we have the, uh, that assurance that you were chosen of God because you are loved of God eternally loved, God's love manifested in the finished work of 
peace. Turn to your neighbor, take a look at them, and tell them, you are chosen because God has loved you. I don't, but he does. Just kidding. <laughs> but the first time, and, 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 and the first time you really know the love of God I have, is when God's love comes to you through someone else. That's the beginning. So he says, you can rest assured that the eternal love of God, the true power of God, which is love, through us, he's saying, his servants, his servant messengers that came to you and you received it. He says, I want you to know that we were so controlled by that love that we were the love in action. That we were willing to even go to work so that you could hear the gospel. He said, we put love into action. We so wanted you to hear this message that we went to work so you could hear this message for free. As you remember what other religions were doing at that time. That's how the messengers came. But what was the message? Because here they stand with God's boldness knowing that they are energized, God's power, that they have come to be channels or conduits of God's love. That's the messengers. But what are they talking about? I want you to read this next part carefully. In Acts chapter 17, it says, And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths, this is Thessalonica, by the way, remember three Sabbaths, three weeks, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. The whole thing here he is saying is that he rose from the dead. It, it's interesting because it's how the early church preached. They the early church preached backwards the way we preach today because the normal way that you talk about people is that they were born, they lived, they did this and they did that, and then they what? Died. And of course, if he rose again, then you say, and he rose again. Not the early church. They, they got it backwards. They said, we bring to you an announcement that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Oh, and by the way, he died also. Oh, and oh yeah, he, he lived too. And <laughs> he was born. Yeah, he was born. You go through the Acts of the Apostles, okay? They always preach backwards because the focus is the gospel. In the gospel is that Jesus rose again. His death has no meaning outside of resurrection. His life is meaningless. His death his birth is nothing unless he rose again. And if he rose again, then everything takes on a whole new meaning. If, only, if he only died, then his death is just like anybody else's death. I mean, think about this. A crucifix is not the symbol of Christianity. I have, and really, I can talk to you because you... You my friends, right? Please say yes. 
But you see that that cross right there? Almost called it a thing. I would have gotten in trouble. But but I've gotten in more trouble over that cross because, okay, we moved it away or we, we took it off for a, a few whatevers because we were doing something else and and this. You know, it, it's amazing the the fury I got. You took away the cross. It was as if, preacher, you're going to hell for sure. Because, you know, that's the symbol. It should have a cross. No, can I, can I say something? If all we have is the memory of a dead Jesus, that death has no meaning in itself. If we have to have a symbol of Christianity, it's got to be the empty tomb. Because if he didn't rise again, the cross has no meaning. Okay, I've had my therapy for the night. The apostles came and their message was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Take, take a look at Romans chapter 4 here. It says, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Read that again. He was delivered over because of our transgressions, raised because of our justification. In death, he takes our sin. In resurrection, he announces you have been pardoned. Do you get that? In death, he took our transgressions, yeah. But in resurrection, he announces your pardon. It's as if clean slate. It's as if you've never, ever sinned before. You've been, I work, he says, is enough. Let me ask you, how do you really feel about the resurrection? I mean, Jesus had risen from the dead only 10 years before Paul comes to Thessalonica here, as we discussed last week. It's fresh history. I think we have to get it into us, into our heads, that, that, that Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension is truly a part of history. It's not a legend. It's not a myth. All the other religions of the world, they go back in time and dim and fake legends and myths. We don't. We are rooted in history. He was born in history. He lived in our history. He died and rose again in our history. That was their great presentation. Jesus Christ, the fulfiller of all Old Testament prophecy. He has risen again. Now, now again, what happened when they received that message? As I said last time, for the Jew, it was, it was pretty simple. It was, they had carried that message all through the centuries. The covenant carriers. Now, that's the Messiah. And now he comes. And as a result of co- they receive. If they don't receive, then they are in worse shape than any Gentile. The person closest to the light with their back to it is in greater darkness than anybody else in the room. The Hebrew people carried that light for centuries. If they reject it, they are in greater darkness than anybody else. Would you understand me if I said that the Jews of today are not the Jews of the Scripture. For an Old Testament Jew lived in the light of the covenant. Today they are living in the light of the New Testament with their backs to it. 
their very faces contain the veil of darkness. Whereas the Old Testament covenant people, they, they danced for sheer joy unto God. And the Jews of Thessalonica simply received that which they had carried in, in the womb of the nation since the very beginning. But the Gentiles, this message gives it to them. As I've said, a very destructive and constructive power for they, they're confronted, man. I mean, they're in the face, according to these verses, the living and the true God. All the gods of, 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 the, of this world are dead. You, you, don't, you, know, you don't need me to tell you. you sh- read Isaiah sometime, Isaiah 14, because it's one of the, I love it. It's, it's like a classic one to, of God's laughing, you know. He's like, uh, yeah, yeah, you go into the woods, and then you kind of cut down a tree, and then you stand there asking yourself, Okay, what kind of God should I make out of this tree? What kind of God do I want? And then you get done making that God, and you pick up all the wood chips that come from that God, and you go make a fire so that you can make your dinner that night. He's saying, you make a God, he's, he's the creation of your mind. It's an, it's an emerging of you. So, so you're basically... As, as, as you've made this thing and emerging, you're basically worshiping yourself. You made it, so a God is not necessarily something that, 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 that's made of, of, of wood or stone. God's small g, it, you know, it's a, he, it's a peg, it's, a, it's, a, it's an idol, it's a concept of God that we've created. Therefore, what I'm trying to say here is that an idol can be inside your head. A concept of God that we create because our God is too small. You remember when Israel came out of Egypt and and Moses had been gone for about six weeks, right? And they go to Aaron and they say, make us a God. So they melt down all their gold and they create a calf. I mean, why not a bird? How about a horse? I mean, why a bull calf? And I suggest to you that it is because they had a concept, concept of God that was power. Their God of power had brought them out of Egypt. It takes power to do that. I mean, so, so what's power? A bull, calf, strength? Power. So they're trying to capitalize on the idea of God, and they made a bull calf, and Aaron said, let's worship the who? He didn't say calf. He said, let's worship the Lord. So, so, so here they're worshiping an idol, but they're calling it the Lord. Why? Because they thought that's what the Lord was like. Let me say this. When when we say he is the living God, that doesn't mean he's alive, but that he is life. Okay? doesn't mean that he's alive. He's the living God. He is. He is the living God. That's why you just can't talk about him 
You must experience him. Otherwise, you'll just turn around and walk away. This isn't a lecture on electricity, okay? It's actually touching the live wire. You don't, I mean, don't don't talk about electricity. Just touch it and you'll find out, right? Anybody been there? (laughs) Smart people. It says he is the living and the true God. In in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9, true God. In other words, everything else is unreal. He's the only true. Everything else is just a shadow, excuse me, or it's empty. And that's exactly what Paul did in leading them. These pagans who had elements of truth, but they were distorted and twisted, all mixed up in their idols. And then he presented them with Jesus. They turned from their idols to the living and true God. And of course, truth is is not a, a set of doctrines, right? Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the truth. He didn't say, I have it. He says, I am it. Truth focuses in the Lord Jesus Christ. So they turn from their ideas of God to the living God himself, from the shadows of their reality to reality himself. It's a turn, which we know is a repentance. That's repentance. Remember, repentance means a change of mind. First of all, it's a change of mind about God. I thought I knew God, but I don't. I don't even know who he was, so I changed my mind about God. That's called repentance. Repentance is a change of mind also about me. I thought I was okay. I discovered I'm not, and neither, friend, are you. It's a, it's a total turnaround. It's a change of mind. I realized that I have set myself literally in the center of my own universe. It was a change of mind to those whose whose slave I was. I I thought I was nobody's slave. And I changed my mind. I was a slave of sin and a slave of the devil. And then I changed my mind. I'm a slave of Jesus. So turn from idols to serving the living and true God. It says that the results of that is that you wait for his son from heaven. Christianity, true gospel, gives me a goal at the end of life. Very few other religions even claim that. They're certainly not able to explain it. Most of the world religions believe in making that, that believe in walking out into darkness pretty much, or maybe an endless reincarnation. Some of you are going to come back as bugs. I mean, your goal to life, at, at best, you, you go round and around and around in endless reincarnation. But the gospel has an end in view. The gospel tells me how this whole world started, and it tells me how it's all going to wrap up Christians don't believe in circles, do we? We, we believe in straight lines, while, where we come from, where we're going to. So the gospel initiates me into waiting. 
The word in the Greek for the word weight is like for, as for a friend. For example, you have a friend who is coming to visit you and you're waiting. Sort of like me and my wife on Sunday morning. I'm, I'm there and I'm, I'm not going to go there right now. But as for a friend, I mean, you're, you're waiting. And, and that is you are already, you know, you've done everything. You've cleaned the house. You've swept down things. You've dusted You've done everything you have. You're ready for your friend's arrival. You've prepared. You're looking forward because, hey, they're your friend, right? So you look forward with patience because you know they're going to come. You're confident and, and you're patient. That, that's all wrapped up inside of the meaning of the word. And of course, there's no fear. How, how can we fear? I mean, you see... That's why there's no such thing in the New Testament as a second coming. It's always the coming. We explained this last week. Because the parousia, the word for waiting, parousia, the coming, is bound up so much with the first one, the first coming. You can't think of the next one as a second. It's the coming, the parousia, the grand finale of what already is. That's why we look forward to the parousia without fear. I'm already so bound up in this thing. Already my sins are gone. I don't fear wrath. I don't fear judgment. I already know him. Therefore, I'm not scared. So we wait as for a friend with expectation. What gets me sometimes is that we talk about his coming as if he's not here now. I remember as a kid being told I, I couldn't go into certain places, right? Couldn't go see certain things. I mean, uh, so, you know, I was basically being told I couldn't have any fun. But when I questioned it, you know what the answer always was? It was simply, you don't think that Jesus would come there to get you if he came back. You know where that was? I mean, my wife was raised Nazarene. So they didn't believe in bowling. And as a Pentecostal, we didn't believe in sneaking. Oh, I won't go there. Forget it. Well, bottom line is, you know, that, 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 that was, I mean, but that response was the end of all conversations. Do, do you understand what that put in my head? That Jesus is up there, and as long as I'm not doing it when he comes, I'll be, it's like, you know, you, you, you're in the house and you're doing something wrong, and all of a sudden you hear the door, and it's dad coming in the door. And what do you do? You scurry, you, 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 like, like you're up playing and you're supposed to be in bed sleeping. So as they're coming up, you can hear the footsteps and all. You jump in bed and you pull it up and like you're sleeping. That's most people's understanding of the, quote, second coming. Please understand me when I say you are so involved already in the coming. Christ is not going to be surprised by what you're doing because he already lives in you right now.
Christ in you, the hope of glory. That, that, that is what it means to be called Christian. You all remember my illustration of Cuba fusion takes place. The water gets turned into something instead of water that we refer to as tea. It has a different smell, has a totally different taste. It's still water, but it's now so changed that it's called tea. That's the glory of Christianity, that he has come to live inside of us so we do have his life, his strength. Christ lives within us. That tea bag has not become, or I should say that tea has not become the tea bag. The tea bag is the ever other one. What we call the Parasius is when the tea bag goes to use the bag. Well, Christ, Christ lives in us. He lives in us. Yet there'll come a day when the parousia, when we shall see Christ face to face. He is in us, and we shall one day stand in that immediate presence of the tea bag himself. And everybody said, Stand for a prayer. Ah, oh, we're out ready to start into this stuff now. Lord, thank you for who you are and that who we are. And to realize the boldness of Christ to come through us in that dunamis energy to open up our lips to know your boldness and to speak. is he alive he is alive in you and I am in him Lord bless them continue to strengthen guide them direct them I pray that the eyes of their understanding be open fill them with the knowledge of your will with all wisdom and spiritual understanding Bless them in their coming in as they're going out and all that your hand plans for them to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. These altars are open. If you'd like to find a place, we're here to pray with you. But before you leave this place, wish somebody a Maranatha or something. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you.